Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Sex Ed Taught Me. This is your host, Natalie Walton. Uh, For this episode, I have a good friend, Hope, who is going to talk a little bit about how her faith as a Christian has influenced her perception of sexuality, how she learned about sexuality. Uh, She'll talk a little bit about what she hopes to do in terms of teaching people about sexuality and things like consent, um, just as a trigger warning beforehand there's some pretty extensive discussion about sexual violence specifically rape throughout this episode um so just as a warning in case that would be something that's potentially triggering for you um and as with anyone please practice you know self-care after listening to this episode it's 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 there are some funny moments but it also is a little bit heavy and a little bit difficult so make sure that you decompress in ways and keep an eye out for yourself. So uh, without further ado, uh, here is Hope. Yes, so my name is Hope. I am 22 years old. I graduated from undergraduate um, from the United States Military Academy at West Point in May of 2020. So uh, just recently, and I'm now attending graduate school at Virginia Commonwealth University to get a Master of Social Work degree and a Certificate in Gender Violence Intervention. And I know Natalie because we are both 2019 Truman Scholars, which is um, was such an awesome opportunity um, to meet some really amazing people. Yeah, and we worked on the same projects, which was really fun. So it's, we got to yes. meet, yeah, it was, <laughs> so. Um, Higher stakes. <laughs> It was really fun. Honestly, it was, it was a good group. I was so like, uh, like overwhelmed meeting everybody, but it was like the most amazing. Like I think about it constantly. I'm just like, wait, I really like. We had so much fun. I, <laughs> it's like, I, I didn't realize like working at a like research presentation could be like a good time, but it, it was honestly, it was like, a, it was a really interesting time. So I'm glad I got to yes. meet everyone. <laughs> yes. And I'm yeah, glad you agreed to do this. So <laughs> Yeah, thank you for having me. Awesome. All right. So can you tell me a little bit about like your hometown or hometowns if you moved around a little bit growing up? So kind of like socially, politically, what kind of schools did you go to in terms of size just to kind of get us oriented within your early life? Absolutely. So to be honest, it's not that crazy. I was born and raised in the same small town and I attended so I, I'm from Ohio originally and went to a small rural school. I graduated high school with a total of 82 people, I want to wow. say. So very small, very small. Um, not a lot of diversity, to be honest. It was mostly white, lower middle class families um, and right-leaning, definitely a right-leaning town. Um, and so I'd say a lot of my early like political experiences were more um yeah yeah just more right-leaning and so I I didn't wasn't exposed to much diversity of thought um growing up but since high school I joined the military and um since going to undergraduate at West Point I had my eyes open to so many different perspectives and I just love the opportunity to now be pursuing a social work degree where I can focus on social justice and really understand other people's perspectives and experiences, even though I haven't lived through a lot of those. 
Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. I actually didn't know where you were from originally, like for Truman, I just like knew you by school and I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> like I just, that, I just had that thought. I was like, wait, I never actually knew <laughs> what state you were from. But, Ohio. <laughs> but okay, so kind of based on what you're telling me, I'm assuming you probably had kind of a, a stricter sex ed just based on kind of the right leaning, more conservative, that tends to be more of the, the idea for sex ed is that it's a little bit more abstinence based if abstinence only education. Yes, I would definitely say abstinence based. I know that we, we had a stereotypical condom on a banana demonstration as well. So it wasn't, wasn't purely abstinence only. Um, but I think to describe my early sex ed, I can, I think giving an anecdote is probably the most, like, like the best way for me to portray it. Yeah, absolutely. But I remember being in, man, freshman or sophomore year of high school and health class, and they divided the boys and the girls. And they had the men go with the male gym teacher and the women go with the female gym teacher. And we were sitting in this classroom with just a bunch of girls and our, our, our instructor. And um, I remember it was like fear tactics, you know, like if you have sex, you will get pregnant. Like, you know, like that was the gist of it. And so I remember like, you know, my heart is racing and I'm like, at this point, I've never, I've never kissed a boy. I've never, I don't even think I'd hold hands with anyone. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so terrifying. Like, and then she said something to me that was so alarming and so confusing. And I, I never brought it up to anyone until very recently, you know, maybe this might be the first time I'm talking about it. Um, but she said, sex is not the only way to get pregnant. And, but she didn't elaborate, you know? And so I was like, oh my goodness, how else do people get pregnant? And like, I think what she was trying to get at is like penetration, you know, is the main form of like impregnating women, but also like if a man is touching himself and gets sperm on his fingers and then fingers a woman, potentially, like there's probably a very small chance that that could lead to pregnancy. But she didn't, you know, she didn't even like elaborate on what she meant. She just said, that's not the only way to get pregnant. That and so I think stressful. for a while, I'm yeah, like, I don't even understand. That is so stressful. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I would think that. Yeah, because I, uh, I remember <laughs> when I was a kid, I remember watching or watching commercials for, um, what was it? Uh, Secret Life of an American Teenager, Secret Life of the American Teenager, and she was talking right. all about, like, in the ads, she's like, oh, well, like, we never actually did anything, like, we just kissed, like, it's, and I, <laughs> I've shared this anecdote before, but I just think it's so funny, because it, like, impacted me so deeply, like, it was just one of those things where I was like, oh my god, they didn't even, like, have sex like they just kissed and she got pregnant like that oh my god like if somebody had told me that like if an, like some sort of adult professional in my life had been like hey just so you know sex is not the only way I would have been like oh my god kissing can get you pregnant like <laughs> right yes so I definitely lived in a fear you know for until I learned a little bit more about my own biology and understanding um but yeah so I would say my high school sex ed could have definitely been improved. <laughs> that is so interesting. I've actually, I like, I, the fear tactic thing is, like, not new to me. Like, that seems like a pretty normal, like, that's, I got the same thing in sex ed. But the, the approach of don't do anything at all because you might be able to get pregnant from it is, like, 
Wow, right. that is, that's, <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Um, yes. But, all right, so when you kind of think broadly about your experiences, so I know you mentioned having, like, a little bit of sex ed before ever, you know, like, even, like, maybe holding hands. So kind of when you're thinking about your experiences, when was the first time, like, was that the first time you started to realize that, like, sex was something? Like, at what point were you kind of like, oh, like, people are, are like, kissing and stuff. Like, people are, like, doing things. Yeah. So, okay, I don't know if this is going to be TMI, but... I actually, so I'll take it back a little bit further. I started, had, like, I had my first period two days before my 10th birthday. So I was wow. still nine, nine years old, yes. And at that point, we, like, I remember, you know, vaguely in fifth grade having, like, some sort of, like, biology talk about, you know, and again, like, women were divided versus men. But at that point, no one had talked to me about having a period. Oh my God. I can't even imagine. So I, I, and to be completely honest, I had never heard the words vagina. I, like, I didn't know that there was a difference between like your urethra and your vagina and like all of this. And so when it came to like, you know, like figuring out how to use a tampon, like I had no idea, literally no idea. And I was a nine-year-old trying to figure it out. I um, I can't even imagine. Like, I think mine was maybe like middle, middle school. So maybe like seventh or eighth grade or something. So at that point we'd gotten like, you know, the videos and stuff like that. But I can't even imagine nine, like nine years old. I was like barely even understanding. I like had a body. Like, like, right. Right. And so then I became, I mean, I obviously didn't talk about having a period with other people, but I, you know, started having breasts sooner than other girls in my class. And like, I matured a little bit more quickly, you know, physically and to a point where it was uncomfortable, you know, being the only girl wearing a bra or a training bra. And, um, and so then I was like very distinctly aware of my body changing and also having like feelings about, Oh, like liking boys, you know? And so I, you know, in elementary school, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade, like, Oh, so-and-so has a crush on so-and-so and you know, blah, blah, blah. And of course I was like, you know, I had my own crushes, but I didn't know what those feelings meant like and no one had ever talked to me about it's natural to like to like other people or to want to kiss them and so I had all of these weird like I don't understand my own body I don't I don't you know all of a sudden kissing's not gross like what does this mean and honestly I was so confused about it for such a long time and the only people I talked about it were with were my friends you know and they had no idea none of us <laughs> none of us had any idea yeah, no, I, I like, I cannot even imagine how jarring that would be because it's, I, I mean, honestly, for me, I don't think anybody really started like actually discussing boys like in depth or anything like, or even like relationships in depth. Like it was always kind of one of those, you know, like there's crushes and like there's all sorts of like, you know, kind of this feeling of like, maybe I want like attention. Like, do I want to date? Like, do it, like, should I be dating? You know, that kind of idea. Right. Is, um, it, so, is it just a social thing to do or yeah. what does it mean to, to date? Right. Like it was never defined even, you know, amongst our peers, like, and, you know, like looking back, I wish, you know, if I could go back and, or, you know, someday when I'm talking to other people or with my own children, I would love to sit down and tell them, like, it's normal to have feelings for other people. You know, for me, I had these feelings for men and but that's not always going to be the case for women. And it's okay to, to have feelings for different people, but you need to be aware of, 
what like what what attraction means you know attraction in in what regards and and when attraction leads to arousal what does that mean you know i i don't think in any of sex ed or any talk that i had did anyone explain to me the like the progression of, from attraction to arousal to like male erection to like what that implies for physicality of a relationship and what that would look like in physical steps you know no one talked to me about, hey, it's healthy to want to hold hands. It's healthy to want to kiss. It's healthy to want to explore your body, but in safe ways. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's really interesting that you bring it up too, because I know for like when I was growing up, the extent of the conversation was if the guy bullies you, like if he's like mean to you, then he likes you. And that was like the sole communication that we got. And it's like, <laughs> like, I always knew that that was... And it normalized that. Exactly. And I always knew it was, like, messed up for people to be kind of like, hey, you know, if he'll tease you if he likes you, you know, and kind of normalizing that and accepting that as, like, a normal behavior rather than being like, hey, maybe you should be nice to people, you know, that kind of idea. But now that you're mentioning it, I mean, that was the extent of the the dating advice, well, dating advice as much as you can be advised when you're, like, (laughs) eight years old. But the same idea of, like, you know, is that like that's really the extent of what we were taught like we were just told if he's been to you he likes you and then you start dating I mean like what what does that even mean and we would right. all, like model it off of you know maybe the things we were seeing on tv or what we were watching in movies or reading about and it's like for me I I mostly read books so I was like okay like I get dating but I got it in the context of like YA novels I'm like this isn't how real life works like <laughs> like I think right. about it now yeah no that's really that is such an interesting point. And it's like those, we weren't the, as women, we weren't the only ones hearing those scripts. Boys were being told that script. Like, hey, when you like a girl, you're going to tease her. You're going to maybe poke fun at her. You're going to get attention instead of these are healthy and safe ways to get attention from someone you like. Yeah. And the devastating implications of telling people it's normal to be treated this way. You know, like I lived it, you know, I, went off to college and still did not have a firm grasp of, of what, how I deserve to be treated or that it was okay for me to say no. Like no one ever talked about consent with me. And, you know, it was devastating in the moment and I've grown a lot since then, but I was raped my, my freshman year of college and I had, I had nowhere to go for a long time. Like I suffered in silence because I felt so much guilt and shame about, what happened and wasn't my fault, you know, an internal narrative of victim blaming. And, and like looking back, that narrative started back in elementary school of you deserve to be treated this way. Yeah, no, I'm so sorry to hear that because it really, I don't think people realize how far spread the effects of misinformation can go. I really think it's so devastating when you think about how much is ingrained and how much that affects people on a personal level, on a societal level. It's just, it's really, really, really hard to kind of think about. And I think that's a big reason why you're big on comprehensive sex ed now. Um, if you yeah. want to kind of elaborate on that a little bit, you've told me beforehand that you, you're interested in working on comprehensive sex ed and working on some sort of book or curriculum. Yes, absolutely. So I think that sex, just like any other topic, should like we should be giving so much information to people that they understand it incredibly. 
like when we, when kids are little, we tell them not to touch the stove because the stove is hot. And yet more times than not, you know, maybe a little kid is going to go touch the stove and then burn themselves. And then they have to learn the hard way. But that like, that shouldn't be the precedent for how we do teaching, you know, um, before, like, let's say sailing, for example, um, you know, I'm not a sailor, but people that sail sailboats, they are going to, when they first get on a sailboat, well, even before they step on the boat, they're going to be taught about safety. They're going to probably be given some sort of swim lessons. They're going to wear a life jacket. They're going to be told every piece of the boat so that they're aware of where things are at, how they operate and what they need to know to be safe. And then before they um, are given the opportunity to sail alone, they're guided along that process. Like they're shown what health, like, you know, sorry, I'm, you know, mixing metaphors here, but <laughs> they are shown what is safe on the boat. They're, um, they see the relationship between like maybe a parent or an instructor and how they operate different mechanisms on that boat. And eventually they'll get to the point where they're sailing on their own and they are free to fly and make their own choices. And then at which point they have to deal with the consequences of maybe making a mistake, but they've had pre proper preparation to be able to correct and learn from it. And in the same way, I think we should be teaching people from a, a very young age. And, you know, if you missed it as a kid or didn't have it as a kid, I don't think that that means that you, you shouldn't still be pursuing sex ed because I'm still learning. I'm by no means an expert um, on sex, but we, we should ideally model for young people what a healthy relationship looks like. How does handling conflict look, you know, how can you handle conflict in a healthy manner? How can you show love and respect to people? How can you ask for consent, right? Like for practicing, um, hey, is it okay for me to give you a hug? And respecting when someone says no, like, you know, it's so easy. We shouldn't be telling kids, oh, go give so-and-so a hug or just letting people come hug children because they're learning that they don't have control of their body or that it's not their choice to pursue physical touch. And it is like, that is like the groundwork of consent. And so in that we should be telling kids about their bodies and very, at a very young age, normalizing the biological concepts of who they are. Like this is a penis. These are, um, yeah, testicles. This is your vagina, like normal words. And they're not bad words. Instead, we've like created this narrative of shame, like, oh, like that, like that's a shame spot or, you know, like calling a vagina of hoo-ha or, you know, like, you know, like it just, it doesn't embody the respect that it deserves because it's a normal part of your body. It's who you are and it deserves to be treated with respect and always respected. And so for me, I'm just super passionate about wanting to give so much information that people are aware of the choices that they make and are able to freely make a choice with full understanding of how to do it safely. Yeah, absolutely. No, and that's actually the majority of what I tried to say when I was writing my Truman proposal, when I was writing my application originally, was basically this idea of like, we should be providing information to people. Like we should be allowing them to make a truly autonomous decision and they can't do that if nobody's educating them. Like it's, it seems like a really kind of simple kind of direction of exactly what you're saying where it's 
you have to kind of guide people originally. And if you start from the very beginning, you don't have to play catch up at the end and, or, you know, experience some sort of like tragedy or hardship or, you know, burn your hand to have to learn a lesson. Right. And we should be holding people accountable too. Like, you know, sorry, this is going to, this is totally going to be a tangent, but (laughs) there's not accountability really in a lot of spheres for sexual misconduct. Like a lot of time, you know, especially on the college platform, there's, there's title nine expectations and you can make reports, but these hear this term, he said, she said, when it comes to sexual misconduct, and it's, that's not the case. We wouldn't say that a robbery was, he said, she said, or that something more visible was, he said, she said, but somehow we've created this narrative that, oh, we're really going to tend towards doubting that people are being honest about what happened to them. And we're not going to normalize like, or, or create a safe environment for people to say, no, that's not how I deserve to be treated for that. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Cause I remember taking like an introduction to criminal justice class, I want to say at one point, and we were talking about how it's like any sort of sexual violence is one of the few crimes of the only type of crime where people have to ask to be believed. Like it's, you know, when you're reporting something, when you're usually saying, oh, I was robbed, the immediate response typically is not, are you sure? Like, did that really happen? Like, I, we need a little bit more proof. Like, did they actually take anything from you? And it's like, why is it that we shifted the narrative so much that it's, you know, sexual violence in particular has to be something where we need so much proof and we need so much undeniable proof. And it's like, that's just, why are we here? Why did we allow this to happen? Why is this the way that our legislation works and the way our criminal justice system works? You know, it's really, and I mean, not to kind of like, you know, use metaphors and symbolism. I don't even know what the right term would be for this, but like, drawing out the theme, I guess the theme of the episode, I guess can be early lessons and how much it grows from where you start at the very beginning. Because if you start to plant seeds of something, starting at somebody's early life, starting at the beginning of a criminal justice system, it starts to evolve and it reaches a point where people are like, oh yeah, that's just, that's just how it is. (laughs) Like that's just, we don't know any different. Obviously humans are just kind of wired this way or the criminal justice system has to be this way because of this. And it's like, no, we could have, we probably could have avoided a lot of this stuff. Like we probably could have saved us a lot of the trouble if we, from the very beginning had said, Hey, this is what a vagina is rather than being like, well, let's not really talk about it. Or, you know, the same idea with what we were talking about before about, you know, Oh, boys are just mean to the girls that they like. That's it. That's the, you know, <laughs> it's like, I right. think we have to have these conversations much, much earlier um, because and that- it really does spiral out. Right. And that's not to discredit any, you know, I would not, you know, I don't want to make it seem like I'm saying men rape women because that is, you know, anyone can be a victim, anyone can be a perpetrator. And it's really about having that narrative of like what safe and healthy looks like. And I I think another like unfortunate element of this is although, you know, like we have CSI, um, SVU, right. And it, it tries to show, different types of, of ways that sexual violence perpetrates society. But the narrative around rape is still, it's gory, it's from a stranger, it's violent, um, 
and that it happens in like a back alley and you, you never saw it coming. And, and so I know I was told you should always like walk with your key between like your car key between your fingers so that you can like stab someone or you should carry pepper spray. And the statistics show even in my own personal experience, most sexual violence, including rape happen between two people that know each other that probably have a, a fairly decent relationship and that our response mechanisms are to either fight, flight, or freeze. And more often than not, it's freeze because our body is like is telling us that something traumatic is happening and that the best way to survive it is to just shut down, let it happen, and then move on. Yeah. Like just it, just survive the experience so that you can live to keep fighting. And you know, that's not something that we're telling people is is normal. And even though, so then it's like the shame, like, well, why didn't you kick him? Or why didn't you scream? And, you know, it's just so unfortunate because that is a, such a natural response. It's a survival mechanism. And you can't, and, and yet you're criticizing the victim for how they survived the trauma. And yeah, it's, it's absolutely devastating. Yeah, no, it's the same thing. I remember going through uh, like a sexual violence training and we spent a lot of time talking about biological responses and, you know, kind of this idea of like, it's a, a similar concept of memory and how your memory responds to trauma and how it often comes back in kind of like bits and pieces. And that's entirely normal. But the way right. that our, you know, criminal justice system works, the way we expect things to be reported, we want them in kind of a fluid story that makes sense. But it's like, that's, that's usually not how the brain works works and usually when the brain experiences something really traumatic that it's desperately trying to repress it's it's not going to be able to give you all of the bits and pieces that you need in the order that you need them in it's really it's it's really interesting just how I I don't even know how to like how much work has been put into the criminal justice system kind of by I want to say by accident that just works entirely against people who've experienced any form of trauma. It really is so difficult and so challenging to see. And I, I'm really grateful that there are people who are coming in who are like, hey, we need to, <laughs> we need to be having these conversations. We need to talk about this and why these things happen. And I know there are all sorts of trainings that are working on it now and all sorts of different things, but it's, it really, I do think there would be a lot of benefits to starting younger and instead of having adults who are already in positions of power and trying to teach them when they're already at a certain age already maybe have ideas embedded into themselves it's why not start young with smaller ideas exactly what you were saying earlier right and you know with that if this tragedy of sexual violence does occur always believe the victim and and so for me I know I feel a lot of shame because and, and not to criticize another person, but I confided in a friend and, you know, her and I went to church together and we were both Christians. And I, and I tried to share that I, I didn't want what happened to happen. And I, I didn't, couldn't, couldn't articulate how I was feeling, you know, and, and she, you know, one of her immediate responses was like, you shouldn't have sex until you're married. Like you, you knew that he might want this, like, she didn't say it was my fault, but you know, like that's what I walked away feeling. And, um, and that, that was devastating. I didn't end up reporting, you know, that I was raped until months later when the biological evidence was gone. Right. Like I, I, yeah, like I can go into detail of, you know, I bled for four days because of like my trauma, you know, 
Like there was, and, but I, I cleaned it all up and I hid it and like, I felt dirty. Like I personally felt like it was my own fault for what happened to me. And I couldn't tell anyone, even though if I had that night gone and told someone and had saved all the evidence, maybe, maybe it would have turned out differently for my case, but that's, that's not the story. It's, it's the matter of, we need to create a culture where we believe people. And this, this goes beyond sexual violence. Like we should believe someone when they say they were bullied at school. You know, this goes back to childhood. If we believe someone and say that shouldn't have happened to you, let's, let's work together to find a solution. We could prevent so much of this trauma from happening as adults and in much more devastating arenas. Yeah, no, I'm so sorry that happened. I know that's unfortunately a really common kind of response is this idea of like, well, you know, are you, are you sure? And it's like, well, yeah, <laughs> like it's, you know, it's like we know what happens to our bodies and we know when something feels wrong. And I think it's really unfortunate that we've kind of taught people to inherently doubt themselves. I think there's a lot of that narrative about exactly what you're talking about earlier with this whole idea of it's, you know, oh, it's the stranger in the alley. And by not teaching people that, you know, friends can also hurt you or people who you knew and you trusted can also hurt you. It's, it's honestly doing such a disservice to people and it's making them say, well, I mean, but he's, he's a nice guy, like, or, you know, it's, we've been dating for a couple of months, or maybe a couple of years, or, you know, whatever the combination of things might be. And it's like, we need to make sure that people know that they are, it's, if you, if it feels wrong, if something about this doesn't sit with you, or if you feel really uncomfortable about it, or if it's, you know, for a fact, it was a trauma, it's, you should be able to communicate that, and you should be able to report it as soon as you realize, or as soon as you're ready to report it. Right. And, and, you know, it's, it's so hard because we are also told from a very young age that sex is something that men need. Like, like they're going to want it, like, you, you know, if you want to keep a guy around, you have to put out or, you know, all of the, like, these quippy little phrases that are saying that it's, it's okay for men to get what they want if, at, like at the detriment of, or at the expense of what others want. And again, I'm not saying that men rape women and that that is like the only way, but I think that those sex roles and um, just normal occurrences that have built up, you know, are really, really quite dangerous. And, um, and no one ever, you know, for all the times I heard, you know, men need sex, I was never once told that, you should have an orgasm. Like yeah. no, no one, no one told me that. Like no one explained the like what an orgasm was to me, or that I deserve to have one, or that you know, or that sex should be good for me too. You know, and I, you know, it's like getting married and like learning that from trial and error. That like sex is awesome. You know? <laughs> like you know, sex can be really fun for both. Should be really fun for both people. Yeah, no, and I think that's a really great way to sum it up. And I, I think there's this idea too, like I always go back to the whole like clit idea of like people like genuinely believing that that's a myth. Like there are women who genuinely believe that that's like not part of their body. Like it just like does not exist. Like it's just something that doesn't happen. Like women cannot orgasm, like whatever it might be. And it's like, right. we're really teaching people that? Like it's like, it's just, you think about it and you're like, in theory, it is just a biological response. Like the idea that it makes us uncomfortable is entirely social. Like none of that, (laughs) like there's no inherent 
shame to it. It's just the fact that, you know, somewhere along the line, people got really uncomfortable talking about sex and we're like, no, 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 like women not allowed to enjoy it, not allowed to have fun. Like, it's just all about men. And it's like, that's, that's not how humans were built. (laughs) But it's it's easy because you can, like, you can, it's easy to see a male erection, right? And ejaculation is like a tangible way to say sexual, like, you know, the goal of sex was achieved. But like, you know, the clitoris is, you know, very, the outwardly is very small. Although like, but if you actually taught about the clitoris in sex ed, you would see like the outside peak and then you would see the internal part and how it's like, how many nerves are connected to it. And it's like 100,000 times more nerve endings than are in the penis, which is like incredible. But I think that, to be completely honest, I think that they're most sex ed like diagrams of like the woman's anatomy doesn't even label the clitoris like it's not on there and you're like no like no like that's important like that is super important to sex and like and and it should yeah 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 no I absolutely get that and actually now that you're saying it I'm like I don't know if I'm like saw any diagrams like I know for me like my interest has always been kind of like sexual health and just kind of like awareness of the body so it's like you know for me I did see diagrams at one point like it was kind of a certain you know I I wish I could even remember kind of what put me on this path but it's one of those things where it's like well I want to learn more about my anatomy like I have a I have a body I you know I would like to feel more comfortable with it and it's just amazing to me that we'll have people who are teaching us health and are supposed to be teaching us better bodies like I never took a formal like anatomy class or anything like that so the extent right. of what I learned about my body was from my health class and what I learned from my health class was that there's the penis and all these different things about the penis and then there's the vagina which was too complicated for us to talk about so we just didn't <laughs> like right and oh okay so what was I about to say um yeah and oh and like I feel like, you know, looking back on my sex ed was, this is like, your body's made this way so you can birth a baby. Like, I just, you know, distinctly remember, like, this is your pelvic area. And like, when you have a baby, your hips fall. And I'm like, for the most part, and this wasn't the case for everyone, but most of us at 14 years old are still, you know, maybe a decade or so, maybe two decades away from even thinking about a child. Like, yes, we should be aware of how, how babies are made and, you know, like, oh, this is good to be aware of. But once you're pregnant, honestly, your doctor will probably educate you on how your hips are, like, you know, on that stuff. But, like, let's more talk about, like, safe sex and understanding your body first. Like, <laughs> I thought, no one in my class was pregnant. Like, it wasn't relevant to tell us, you know, your feet size are going to double when you're pregnant, blah, 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 blah. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't a pregnancy class. <laughs> Why yeah. did it turn into that? No, it's like, cause it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's good to know, but it's, it's good to know in addition to <laughs> learning about your actual body at the time that you're learning about it. It's kind of like, and I, I do think, you know, maybe part, like, I'm not going to speak for like how your health program was made, but I mean, part of it might've been like, oh, let's, let's tell them all the like hard things that happen to your body and how much you have to go through once you're pregnant. And it's like, well, yeah, but it's like just telling people like simply do not get pregnant is not going to do anything if you don't actually teach people. Like it's you have to actually give them the steps and you have to say this is how you can protect yourself and this is what you can do in order to avoid, you know, the swollen feet and the back pain and the discomfort. 
Yeah, it's really. (laughs) Right. It goes back to those fear tactics. Yeah. No, it really, it's, I mean, like, I'm constantly kind of thinking about the different ways that things play into each other just because, you know, my background is studying sex, basically. So it's trying to understand, like, how our different feelings and myths and attitudes have kind of played into it. But like, this is like, feels good to finally kind of say it explicitly and just be like, yeah, like these things all play into each other. And it's just like, it feels really obvious in a lot of ways. Like there's certain things where I see it and I'm like, yeah, no, that 100% makes sense. Like that, like, that's why this still functions today. And this is why, you know, this myth or this certain belief still exists today. And it's really, I don't know, it just makes it seem so like, simple, even though I know it's not like, it's, you know, this idea of having to dismantle these beliefs that people have. And it's like, oh, well, if we just, (laughs) if we just stopped believing it, we'd all be fine. And it's like, no, we have to talk about it in more complex ways. But in theory, it's like, it, it, could have been so simple if humans were just a little bit easier to kind of form but it's definitely it's I think it's interesting to bring up in terms of if we started younger would we be able to kind of change our trajectory a little bit and would we be able to move away from you know some of these attitudes that carry on and become more persistent as we get older and avoid having people who get to college who still don't really know how the human body works or different human decency things or just what sex really even is, <laughs> you know, that kind right. of idea outside of getting right. pregnant. Right. And that, you know, sex should only be done when there's affirmative consent, like that both people are verbally and outwardly expressing excitement to have sex. And I'm not saying that that means, okay, like, you know, it, it doesn't mean like being like, okay, okay, stop touching me. Do you want to have sex? Like, okay, maybe that's what it's going to look like for someone, but a lot of time that's going to just be pulling back for a minute and being like, hey, right now, I, I would love to be more physically intimate with you. If, you know, like, I would love to have sex with you. And is, like, is that something that you're interested in as well? And, like, giving them the honest space to be like, well, yes, I do. Like, that is what I want to. Or, like, hey, I'm not, I'm not there yet. Like, can we just you know, keep making out or can we keep it above the, you know, like keep it above the belt, you know, just, just define it and make it super normal. And to be completely honest, before every time my husband and I have sex, we ask each other, you know, do, like, you know, is this what you want? Like, are you, are you still good with this? Like, you know, like I'm super excited about this. Are you, and you know, sometimes, you know, so, sometimes the answer is still going to be no. Like, Hey, actually, like, I, you know, all of a sudden I don't feel well, you know, you don't even have to justify it, but there's all, you always have the space to be like, actually, I would like to take that back and yeah. no shame, no shame. Yeah, no, I really, I like that too, in the context, especially of marriage, which I feel like is something that's not frequently talked about that much. It's kind of this implication that like, once you're married, you just kind of can like it's just you know and I I mean we see that a lot in our legislative system too with the way that you know women are protected from you know or I guess not protected from their husbands and certain contexts and things like that and the existence of marital rape laws and things like that so it's a I mean not to like turn your very lighthearted story into something really serious but it very much is kind of this important conversation of like 
Yeah, you, no matter how far your relationship is, even if you've been dating for six or seven years, you should still be looking for affirmative answers. You should still be reading for body language, their dialogue, the way that they're feeling. It's, you know, if anything, you're, you know, you might have a different language as you age up and as you get to know each other, but it doesn't right. change. Like that doesn't negate the fact that you still need consent of some kind. Yes, and, and, and that consent, especially if alcohol is gonna be involved, should be established long before the activity even begins, you know? And a lot of people are like, oh, well, so I am a firm believer that if you are intoxicated, you cannot give consent. But to me, that doesn't mean you can't still have sex. It just means that the conversation about sex should have happened before alcohol was consumed. And like, especially if in a context where maybe you haven't had sex with this person before, maybe you should just step back. You know, you didn't talk about sex. You have consumed alcohol, you're both a little tipsy or maybe even drunk. And then physical intimacy starts happening. You know, at that point, I would say you, you should, you should probably like pump the brakes and just say, Hey, this is something I'm super interested in. I would love to continue with you after we can talk about it. You know, I would, I would love our first time to be sober, you know, or, or even like maybe you've been in a relationship for a long time or you know, drinking alcohol and then having sex is a normal part of your relationship. But it can still be normal to say, hey, tonight I would love to have sex with you if you still feel up to it after we're done with this party. Yeah. And like to determine it, but then still be able to, hey, I actually, you know, we've been drinking and I don't feel like it. You know, it's super normal and it's too easy. It's too easy to normalize these conversations in little ways um, in relationships long before sex is even on the table. Like I said, it's going back to hugging. It's going back to holding hands. It's going back to just like per, like personal space. Like, hey, like, you know, you're doing your own thing right now. And instead of just coming in and like, you know, interrupting and being like, oh, like, no, like, hey, is now a good time for us to have a conversation? Is it okay for me to enter your world right now? And that's, that's what consent is, is getting permission to do it to like be together in unity, like to have an opportunity to share something special together that both people want. Yeah, no, and I think that's a really important thing to normalize too, is this idea of like, you don't have to have drunk sex. Like it's, it's okay. Like it's absolutely okay if you just want to go to a party with somebody and you want to be like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not interested. Like that's, I feel like there very much is this narrative of like, you know, you go out to a party, maybe you meet someone and it's like, you both go home together and you're going to have sex. And it's like, well, you know, it's okay to decide that you don't want to. It's okay to say, I'd much rather we not be drunk when we're doing this. And I think there's, we've really established this idea that it's uncomfortable inherently or like not sexy or whatever to be like, you know, hey, do you want to do this? It's like, no, that's <laughs> like, it's affirming. It's you should be doing that. And it should be built into our conversations, the way we engage with each other, the way we talk to each other. It's, it's just basic human interpersonal communication. I mean, it's yes. nothing, nothing special. It's just, you know, right. ask, yeah, exactly, exactly. Awesome. Oh, We've covered so much. <laughs> I'm like trying to figure out where we are, like in terms of, in terms yeah, of questions. So I don't think we've really covered like my like faith background and yeah. like, being, being a Christian and talking about sex. So, yeah. I, okay. And I would like to preface because I am, I, I am a Christian and have been for quite a while. I am not an expert on the Bible. I am not an expert in, in sex. I am not an expert in the two things combined. Um, 
but what I can say is that there's, I grew up in a culture of, um, shame, like revolving around sex, you know, especially outside of marriage. But then I also witnessed the devastation of affairs through, you know, throughout, um, my early childhood, you know, you know, both like personally and just like from afar, even, especially within the context of church, like we stopped going to a church because the pastor had an affair with someone who was in the church, you know, like all of these things, but it's all hush hush and under the rug. And, but instead of, yeah, like, like what? Uh, so like, let's, let's take it back. I am a firm believer in Jesus Christ as like my Lord and savior. And I truly believe that Jesus loves all people. And like, that is my calling is to love everyone. Like, like to humble myself before every person and to meet people where they're at and to not pass judgment. Like, you know, I never saw Jesus like look at someone and be like, you are a slut or you are, you are this like, I like no, no one person is one thing. And, and Jesus, like he tells us to like go out and just love people. And so I'm like, what about demanding people live a certain way is, is loving, you know? And I personally do believe that like the best sex is had in a monogamous relationship. I think that the most safety you can have is in monogamy. Like the most trust you can have is like being secure that like is being secure in, you know, a relationship with one other person. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with uh, like other people making other choices because I totally believe in the freedom of choice, but I think, you know, we don't teach why it's important in, in the Christian faith to like, why, why are we saying wait till marriage? You know, why? And clearly like people, a lot of people don't, don't make that choice. So why don't we just like meet people where they're at and be like, okay, like the reality is we're all interested in sex. Like, let's, let's be honest about it. And this is how we can be respectful of other people. You know, it, it shouldn't be, yeah, it, it all goes back to those fear tactics. Like I would say Jesus Christ is mo- the model of love for me and models how I want to love others. But with that being said, in the Bible, Jesus didn't get married, you know? And it, if we're going off of the Christian faith, Jesus was the only man to live as perfect. And, and yet he didn't model what a perfect marriage would look like for us because, because he didn't get married. And so, so who, who knows? But what I can tell you is that like Jesus loved everyone and all of this criticism in the church for the LGBTQ plus community. And, you know, and even like in some churches, like in racial marriages or, you know, or divorce and marriage, you know, like every marriage on all of these things, like they're so taboo. Like why? They're not, they shouldn't be taboo. And, and yeah, I, all I could say is like Jesus loves people so much that he died on the cross to save them from any sin that they could commit. And judgment, slander, anger are some of the most devastating sins. So I, I don't think we should approach people with judgment. I think we should approach them with love and respect. And that's for any relationship, whether it's a friendship whether it's a marriage, whether it's a romantic relationship, whether it's a mother, child, father, child relationship, like 
love should be love and grace should be the cornerstone and we need to get away from this judgment of others. And how do you think growing up in an environment kind of with the church and kind of repression of sexuality, how do you think that's affected you growing up? Has it like, did it personally affect you? Would you see it affect other people? Yeah. So I, I definitely think going back to that shame piece of after, after my sexual assault, you know, it, it took me a long time to be able to say I was raped. Like it, it took me, you know, over a year to be able to say that. And, and for a long time I was like, Oh, I had, I had sex outside of marriage. Like, you know, like that was like the internal narrative of like, like I am no longer whole for my future husband. Like I, like all of like these little things that were told to me growing up is like, now I'm no longer worthy. I am, I am no longer, you know, like, you know, a perfect vessel to give to myself to someone. And, And we say that like, oh, we're giving ourselves to our spouse. And And that's really, that really shouldn't be the narrative of what marriage or sex should be. You're not giving yourself to someone because that implies that you don't have autonomy with your own body, but instead you're uniting with another person and like the choice to have sex is, it should be a mutually agreed upon, excited endeavor and not filled with shame. And, and it's just like, I want to like encourage everyone, regardless of your faith background, that the best way to approach people is, is always with respect and dignity. Like you will never go wrong if you're overly respectful to someone, even if they think it's weird, even if you're like, Hey, pump the brakes. Like I want to respect you. Is, is sex what you want right now? It's what I want, but no pressure. Like the first time you ask someone that, you know, like, if, if it's not normal, right? And you're, they might be like, what? But they're not going to be offended that you asked for, the, for their consent, you know? So I, I, for me, um, yeah, like expressing my faith is loving Jesus and trying to love others like Jesus showed love to others. Yeah. No, I think that's wonderful. Like I, I grew up a little bit Catholic, but my family is very like loosely associated with, you know, it's that kind of idea of like, oh, we'll go to church every couple of weeks, that kind of idea. But that was just really, that was wonderful. That was so moving. <laughs> like, like suddenly I'm feeling in touch with, with my faith again. Like that's, that's beautiful. But so how do you think how comprehensive do you think your understanding of sexuality was as a teen? Like if you could kind of like simplify it and just kind of summarize what exactly you learned. And I know we've talked kind of about this. We've kind of skirted around it, but just like as a solid, like, what do you, like, do you think you learned enough? (laughs) Like how comprehensive would you consider your understanding of sex from what you learned in sex ed, maybe from pop culture, maybe from your church, you know, that kind of idea all combined. Oh, I did not have a good sex- sexual education. Mm-mm. I'm still learning. And, and like the points that I would hope to go back and change for someone else was to cover total body awareness, no shame, consent, acceptance of any feelings that people have and normalizing, like, it's okay to not be attracted. Like, you know, telling women, it's okay if you're not attracted to men. Like, not all women are attracted to men. And it's not for you to have to decide in this moment. You know, like I, I was, we did not talk about 
the, like the range of sexual orientations growing up. Like, you know, I think I was, I was in college the first time I asked someone or someone asked me to use the they, them pronouns. And I had no idea what that meant. I was like, sure. But then I was like, I had to go and like Google it. What is like, what are like, why do people, some people not use like gender binary pronouns? And you know, Google is not like the expert on <laughs> anything. So I, I don't recommend that. But, um, and in, in the past few years, I've just learned so much about how people identify. And, and like, my thought is, if that's how someone is going to feel most respected, of course, you know, it's the same as like someone's name being like Thomas and wanting to go by Tommy. Like, you're not going to call them Tom just to make them mad. You're going to just be like, okay, cool. You go by Tommy. And it's the same thing. Like, like we should be meeting people where they're at and how they identify because they are the expert on themselves. Everyone is their own expert. And sorry, going back to your question, (laughs) very limited. I had very limited understanding of biological, emotional, or psychological elements of sex. And I think it should be a comprehensive approach that covers all of those elements with equal emphasis. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then kind of going off of that, um, you've already kind of answered this question again, but how has your understanding of sex changed over time? So do you feel like this was an intentional growth on your part? I know you mentioned, you know, Googling and trying to learn more about other people, but, or do you feel like you kind of grew up and you, you suddenly acquired this knowledge in some places? Like it was like all of a sudden you started to understand the body a little bit more. Was it a very intentional process of, I would like to understand what it means to have a body and have, you know, (laughs) like, feelings for other people and what it means to have sex, that kind of idea. So definitely more the latter. At first I was more just experiential knowledge. Like I'll learn as I go. And then after the rape, I, I was like, this is so wrong. And, you know, I went through the whole reporting process and, you know, all the blame and shame. And I was, you know what, no one deserves to go through this. And, and I was able to, after it was all said and done, I was verbalized that. And from that point forward in my, you know, in my um, undergraduate career, I became a huge advocate for responding to sexual violence. And I know prevention efforts are needed, but I, I don't believe that we can fully prevent sexual violence until we adequately respond and like accept survivors. And so that is like my life mission now is to understand what, what are like leading to what like leads up to sexual violence and how is it so normal in our society and how is it so accepted and how can we change that narrative like so that it becomes prevention. But first and foremost, like I wanted to learn about what people go through emotionally, physically after this kind of trauma. And I'm still learning you know, I'm still learning every day about sex and the implications of sex and just how, how, how wonderful sex should be in a safe environment. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a great point to kind of lead off on. So, I mean, if you have any kind of wrap-up points, any sort of anecdotes you want to share with us that you didn't have the chance to share, feel free. But otherwise, I have nothing. I have no other questions for you. Yeah, I just want to thank you again, Natalie, for letting me, letting us have this conversation today. I think it's so important. And 
I hope that this inspires other people to just have more open conversations about sex in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me and for sharing so much about yourself and your personal experiences. It really, it means so much. So thank you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. Hi, everyone. Before we, you know, tune out, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sex Ed Taught Me. Thank you for supporting this podcast and supporting this kind of, you know, ridiculous hodgepodge idea that I came up with uh, just, you know, because I wanted to see it and try it out and see what happens. Um, A huge thank you to Jake Miller, who is the editor and kind of just the he mixes the podcast he puts this all together for us um i honestly think he's the reason why you're even hearing it right now so uh huge huge thank you to him and huge thank you to our guests who are coming onto the show um if you are interested you can find us on twitter and instagram at sex ed taught me so hopefully it should be pretty easy to find uh and if you want to send anything into us if you would like to be a guest if you just have a funny story you'd like to share if you have any questions or things you want to clarify or whatever reason it might be, you can also email us at sexedtaughtme at gmail.com. But again, thank you so much for tuning in and see you next time.